This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. Welcome to the City of God podcast, where we are weekly exploring today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. My name is Rob Pacienza, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, John Rabe, and today by our very own Lauren Cooley. Welcome both. Good to be with you guys again, all of us, all three of us together. This is fun. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Definitely. Now, Rob, you and I were talking about this off the air a little bit the other day, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm well, well past school age. We will just put, leave it at that. But there's this thing I have where when it gets to be August, September, and people are, kids are going back to school, I get sad still about it because I, I, it, at heart, I remember, you know, there's no feeling like getting off that bus the last day of, uh, you know, school and starting summer vacation, but then the, the summer drips away and then it's time to go back to school school. I've learned in subsequent years that uh, there are uh, many, many people who actually enjoy going to school and going back to school. Um, But this is that period now. We are sending people back to school, and we're going to talk today about something really important, which is especially uh, when we send children off to college. The landscape has changed out there over the past couple of decades, and and there's a lot as Christians and as Christian parents, Christian friends to consider as we as we send our kids out. Absolutely, and and not only. I mean, it used to be you know we used to be concerned as uh, Christian families and churches sending our uh, children away to secular college campuses. But even Christian colleges, mm-hmm. historically, you know, Christian colleges that maybe have drifted doctrinally. So we really need to be in prayer for these families, for our students. I know at our church, Coral Ridge Presbyterian, uh, we we did a prayer over our high school seniors a few months ago. And one of the prayers was that they would be protected from the evil one, uh, protected from uh, the enemy that wants to indoctrinate their minds and uh, bring about doubt and make, make them question their faith that uh, they would stand strong, and instead of being corrupted by the culture, they would actually be a light in the midst of darkness. Yeah, I I always think about that going back to school time, because when you step foot back on campus, all of a sudden, like your environment changes again. So you're home with mom and dad and maybe some of your friends from your hometown. And then you step foot back on college campus or maybe for the first time if you're a freshman. And all of a sudden, there's just this shift of hierarchy, of power structure, of cliques on campus. And it's really kind of unsettling until you you get back into it and kind of ease back in. And, um, you know, Rob, I, I think you wrote a a letter to the the Christian college student about what to expect when you get on campus and kind of ways to protect your heart and your mind. And I, I thought that was just such a, a a needed call to young people to say, you know, it's not just going back to school, you're going back out into the world and be mindful of that. Absolutely. Yeah, we it was uh, part of my monthly writing project for the Institute for Faith and Culture, as you just mentioned, a message to Christian college students just to give them a charge. You know, we give charges to new presidents and uh, new leaders and organizations. Uh, in, in my world, we give a charge to pastors, and uh, we even gave a charge to the students at our school, Westminster Academy. But I really felt felt like 
Christian college students everywhere, particularly um, throughout North America, um, we really need to give them a charge uh, to stand strong in this cultural moment. If you don't go into, and, and this is true, I think, of a lot of things, not only school, but if you don't go in with sort of a game plan, then you just get swept away by whatever's happening. And especially when you're at an impressionable age still, which any 18, 19, 20-year-old is as they as they go off to school. And so it's always been true uh, that that going off to college is sort of a watershed event. Uh, you know, I my own pastor talks of his pastor growing up who, when it was time for a kid to go off to college, would say to him, okay, uh, you know, okay, Joe, now we're going to find out who you really are. And there's a lot of truth to that. Now add on to that the the unprecedented secularizing forces that a, that a student faces when they step onto as you said, Rob, even sometimes a Christian campus um, where it's dressed in the guise of Christianity and yet it's it's really just a form of, of liberalism. There are a lot of challenges to a, a college student's faith. And so you've uh, sort of issued in that charge a uh, maybe battle plan is too strong, but at least a plan for going into this that we're going to talk about today and break down a little bit because I think it's it's really instructive both for parents and their children, uh, their their adult, you know, entering adulthood children uh, as they as they take on this challenge. Yeah. And what led me to write it, uh, write this letter and to give the this charge to Christian college students, uh, I mentioned some information in a message I recently preached on the importance of having a biblical worldview. What a lot of people don't realize is you can go back into the 1930s in America and see the beginning of the humanist movement creeping into and taking over public education. And really beginning in the early 1930s, it was the agenda of the humanist in our nation uh, to take over public education uh, to really become indoctrination centers. And I, I made that comment and that statement Sunday morning, and I'm, I'm, it's not an exaggeration. When you look back at the Humanist Manifesto, uh, signed by individuals like C.F. Potter and John Dewey, the, the mm -hmm. father of public education in America, you begin to see that they they had a strategy, they had a plan uh, to indoctrinate our young people uh, from a very young age to believe that God, that man, not God, was the ultimate aim of all things, mm. that he was the ultimate ultimate aim of life. And um, we're, we're now seeing this, uh, just this snowball effect, almost a hundred years of families in North America giving their children away uh, to institutions that have been uh, corrupted and uh, taken over uh, by humanists all across North America to indoctrinate the minds of the next generation. And it's not too extreme to say uh, that our public education, our schools of higher education, and even our public school system in America uh, has been so corrupted uh, because it's been federally mandated uh, that they teach an evolutionary worldview, mm -hmm. that they teach uh, that Darwin and Marxist ideology uh, to the next generation. And we've been doing that for 100 years. We've been outsourcing education to the federal government, and we wonder why we're in the chaotic state uh, that we are today today and why we're losing uh, the next generation at record numbers uh, from the church and from the faith community. I remember when I was, I think it was my freshman year of college, and I'd come out of Westminster Academy with a biblical worldview. 
I was even interested in politics at the time. I was pretty young and kind of caught the political bug. So I was thinking about worldview. I was thinking about how, you know, kind of the greater political, philosophical viewpoints kind of impact the way I think. Um, I was paying attention to that as an 18-year-old. And I remember being told at Westminster that when you go off to college, they'll teach evolution and you need to be aware of that. And I was like, okay, well, I believe in creation and I can listen to someone make a case for evolution and I'll be able to, you know, hold firm in my faith. No problem. Fast forward freshman year of college. I'm sitting in a science class. The professor teaches evolution as the only way that the world was created. And I thought to myself, oh, I thought as a 17, 18 year old at Westminster, they were going to say, there's a couple different ways the world could have been created. Uh And here's one option, which is evolution. And here's another way it could have been created, which is creation. And even as a smart kid, I just, it didn't click with me that you were going to go to a class and there was going to be one worldview, one way that the world was created. And it was going to be completely opposite of my belief system. And I remember sitting there just going, Oh, so this is what they were talking about. And that was such a wake up call for me as a as a young student on a, on a campus engaging with these ideas really for the first time. I mean, granted, I came out of we call it the W.A. bubble. Right. But it was it was a great place for me to grow my worldview. But then I stepped outside of it. And it was kind of like all of a sudden in your face. And I think a lot of students experience that. And I think probably Many students are unprepared for the hostility of it as well. As you point out, you know, there's this suddenly this other worldview is presented and it's presented as the only real option. It's the only sensible option. If you don't believe this, you are you're bigoted, you're benighted, you're ignorant, you're obscurantist, you're, you know, any sort of number of things. So it's not simply it's not just not only are there not multiple views of this. Well, it could be this way. It could be this way. There's one view taught. And it's taught in such a way, and and this applies to things besides evolution, but taught in such a way where if you disagree with this, you are an ignoramus or morally defective. And so um, that puts you in a social position where, like, how do I want people to see me? That's very intoxicating for an 18 or 19-year-old kid. The, the challenge becomes strong. Oh, yeah. Not even just a social predicament, but an academic predicament, yeah. right? So, right. you uh, got to write papers Do you write a this. paper on evolution? Do you say, I'm not going to write the paper on evolution. I'm going to write it on creation. And I think there's a lot of competing theories of, do you keep your head down, mm-hmm. get an A+, move on? make a lot of money and donate it to good causes, you know, or do you or do you fight with your professor and get a D minus and ruin your academic career? And I think there's such a fine line. It's such a fine balance. Christian, Christian families have a true dilemma in America yeah. right now in the 21st century. It, it is not I can't emphasize enough. It is not opinion, but it is fact that public education in North America and secular universities are hostile to the Christian faith. They are outright hostile, and and it's by design. Uh, the, the as I said earlier in the segment, the the humanists have taken over public education. The Marxists have taken over secular universities. Uh, they have uh, corrupted these institutions, and like I said, it is federally mandated. There are federal dollars uh, being pumped into secular universities and public education in order to advance secular humanism and Marxist ideology. A secular humanism that says 
religion has no place in the public square and that man is the ultimate aim of life. Marxist ideology that pits races and genders and people against each other. Um, so Christians need to understand, especially Christian parents that are sending their kids either to public schools or to secular universities, you're sending them into the war zone because the spirit of this age never never quits, never stops. There's always going to be another ideology, another war they're going to they're going to wage against Christianity and 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 are the next generation. There's always going to be a new tactic and so our families need to be prepared as they're raising their children up with a biblical worldview and sending them out into the world. The attack is relentless, as you point out. And and again, uh, this is happening in institutions that we have even trusted in the past. Uh, you know, not to name names, but my own children, I uh, we sent to a, a, a Christian college uh, that I think by the, the standards of contemporary Christian colleges is pretty conservative, but there is the issue of, okay, they do receive some federal aid. There's only one or two uh, conservative universities that I'm aware of that don't do that uh, and re retain their independence. They receive federal aid. Well, what does that end up meaning? What that ends up meaning is that a kid, one kid in the class decides that they are transgender. Now you have transgender housing at a Christian college uh, in a in a major area. Like, and and then the influence starts to grow from there. So there is this sort of relentless assault on all the foundations. So, Rob, let me ask you: recognizing the challenge, recognizing that boy, we as Christian parents and as Christian college students are up against it. What? What is some of that uh, that charge that you've issued? What are some of those things that we need to be doing in addition to hopefully giving that child that 12 years of Christian education uh, as the foundation? What are what are some of those things we need to be charging them with as we as we send them off? Well, let me let me just say to set that up, to set up my answer, the, the statistics of Christian young adults leaving the church is alarming. Staggering. It, it, it's, it's amazing. 59% uh, uh, of, of children raised in the faith by the time they re reach the age of 15 are disassociating themselves with the church. Uh, that number climbs to 72% by the time they go off to freshman uh, year of college. Mm. Uh, so uh, 15 years of age to somewhere in their freshman year of college, they are disconnecting from the faith. They are leaving the church. What's interesting is in a positive sense, those that are staying connected, the research is showing us those stu students that stay connected throughout high school and throughout their college years were raised in homes and churches that valued a biblical worldview, that show them that Christianity is not something that's just relevant to Sunday morning worship or to our private lives, but it's relevant to all of life. So that's what we call a biblical worldview, that you have a framework, a lens for seeing all of life, government and politics, finance and economics, marriage and family, gender and sexuality, all of life through the lens of God's word. Those are the those are the students. That's the remnant that 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 are staying connected to the faith, that are staying grounded 
sports. And the first charge that I give to any student going off to college is leverage your Christian worldview. Uh, if you've been raised in a church, a school, and a home uh, that talked about God's infallible word and talked about the relevance of God's word uh, to all of life, this is where you leverage it. Uh, don't take just the professor's word for it. Don't take some uh, college uh, activist or some group out there that is promoting something that's contrary to your faith as gospel truth. No, you have the truth. You, you, you are on the side of, you know, you have truth on your side um, uh, that, you know, you need to leverage. So when you're hearing a college professor wax eloquent on socialism or Marxist ideology or evolution or Darwinian, you know, theory concerning the origin of the universe, uh, you know, use that Christian worldview and, and, and take it through that lens. Uh, when you hear, you know, maybe another uh, pastor, you know, on TV or on a podcast that's maybe drifting doctrinally, you know, use that Christian worldview to go, no, is, is this the truth that I've been raised in? Is this the truth of God's word? Um, and, and then all of life, you know, thinking about politics and government and any other social issue that you're going to be confronted with uh, all throughout college or your young adult years, you know, really learn to leverage that Christian worldview well. I also think get plugged into a gospel-centered, culture-shaping church uh, right away. I, I challenge students, don't, and, and I think this is important, you know, that you're going to be, especially on a Christian college uh, campus, there's so many different college uh, groups that meet, and I think college groups are great, and, you know, kind of your parachurch ministries get plugged into a Bible study, but Bible studies and college groups and, and Christian groups that meet on, on campus can never replace the local church. So find a, a Bible-believing uh, church that preaches God's word, um, check, you know, check in with your pastor. You know, he can more than likely give you recommendations for churches in your area that are similar to your church at home, but do that right away. I've seen students that wait three or four or five, six months, and they never get plugged into a church. Um, so do that right away. And then I think the other thing, you know, just find a group of Christian friends. Uh, you know, God has saved us individually, but he has saved us to community. And I, you know, cannot emphasize enough the importance of godly friends that can hold you accountable, that can challenge you, can admonish you when you need to be admonished, uh, that can point you to uh, the gospel, the promises of the gospel when you're struggling, when you're doubting, they can remind you of the truth. So we we need to do uh, those three things amongst others. It's so easy to go into a new situation, especially if you're away from home, if it's not, you know, the local or nearby state school where all your friends are going to, um, to really get isolated quickly. That happens to to a lot of kids, uh, and that's the enemy of your faith in many ways. I was not a Christian when I was in college. I was not saved until well after my college year, so I didn't have any of these issues. I just, none of it was an issue for me. I just followed what I was taught at the school and, and was fine with it. Lauren, your college experience is, is more recent. I'm curious from your standpoint, uh, what was that experience like in terms of the necessity of community, the necessity of friendships among Christians? What, what was your experience and, and why is that so important? Yeah, I, I, everyone says like college is the best years of your life. And I didn't experience that. I mean, I got a great education, but by no means did I think it was like the best time of my life. I was happier in high school. I'm happier now mm. because I felt isolated. I really did. Um, I went to school in the Bible Belt, uh, secular college, but had Southern Baptist roots. And to this day, when I tell people about my college experience, they go, well, 
wasn't that a very conservative school? I go, it was. Mm-hmm. It's not anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was known on campus as like the radical conservative just for speaking out about my beliefs. I didn't do anything that was overly inflammatory, um, but it definitely very quickly taught me who my friends were and who my friends weren't. Yeah. Um, there were literally almost every academic call that I walked through. I could tell you, here's the professors that hate me and know me by name. Mm. Here's the professors who have made fun of me on Facebook for trying to bring a creation scientist to campus. Mm -hmm. Um, My experience, though, also taught me that I had it in me to do the work that it takes to actually protect my faith and advance it um, in culture. I, I remember one particular time. There was a specific speaker coming to campus. I disagreed with not only what the speaker was, you know, stood for, but also the way that they were. This speaker was being celebrated, and I thought, well, th- that's not true. The the bio they're sharing for this event doesn't isn't accurate to who this person is, and no one's saying anything. Why isn't anyone saying anything? And I realized if I don't speak up, no one will. And I had an exam that week, and I was, you know, really busy with other stuff, and. I realized I I need to be the one to speak up. I need to actually take a stand here. And by doing that, I eventually was able to actually get this narrative changed on campus. I had tons and like dozens and dozens of students that I barely knew reach out to me and say, I can't believe you took a stand for this. Thank you. It you know, opened my eyes. I thought the same thing. I can't believe you had the courage to do that. But it was tough. And so for me, my college experience being a Christian on campus required a lot of work. It required double work in the classroom because I'm taking in everything my professor's teaching me, and I want to at least be able to regurgitate it and say, yes, I listened to your lecture. Yes, I read your material. I understand it. But then the secondary work, the double work of, but this is what my worldview is, and now I can understand what they say, why I believe differently. I can actually have that conversation if I need to. Um, Same thing, finding Christian friends, finding a Christian biblically-based church, it takes active work to do that. And so I didn't have a great college experience. It wasn't horrible, but it definitely taught me how much work it takes to protect your heart, protect your faith, and then advance it in culture. Well, and and we all need to know, I think, in that, like one, this is one of the things that I, you know, as a, as a, as a man who works here at a Christian ministry who is not frequently in an adversarial situation, it's still enormously comforting to me every Sunday morning to gather together with God's people and and to know I'm not alone. We all believe this. We all agree with this. We are we are of one in this. Um, they, they, we need to know that there are others. We need to know that we're not alone. And so uh, when you have to fight that battle, when you have to take that stand, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not I don't want to use the word easy with it, but it's it's perhaps better at least when you have a group of people that you know agree with you, even if they're more silent than you are, that, that are behind you where you're just not out here on this limb alone. Because when we get isolated, when we're out there on the limb alone, it seems to me, Rob, that's where things can get dangerous. Absolutely. And that that really is the tactic of the enemy. You yeah. Know, that, you know, isolate. Isolate, uh, doubt, uh, doubt what you believe. And that will be the tactic of your 
liberal college professor. I mean, you are crazy for believing uh, that God's word is infallible and inerrant. You're crazy to think that God created the heavens and the earth in a matter of six days. Uh, you're crazy to believe that Jesus is the only way to get to heaven. I mean, and, and so on and so forth. So it's whether it's the liberal college professor, the progressive college activist, that will be the tactic uh, and the agenda to get you to believe that you are alone, uh, that you are crazy, that you are antiquated in your belief. Mm. And that, and then to take it a step further, now what we're seeing on college campuses, not only are you crazy and out to lunch, but you're actually the enemy. You are the one uh, that is leading to the oppression of others. You are the one that is uh, the, the reason for all of the social ills right now in our culture. You are the one that is leading this country and this society to hell in a handbasket. And that, that is the tactic. And it's, it, it's dangerous. And what's happening is even the, uh, um, the most solid Christian students I see go off to college and very well-meaning families because they don't have that firm foundation, because they're a little shaky in their understanding of biblical truth and how it applies to all of life, they're getting swept away. They're becoming part of those statistics, unfortunately. Some well-meaning families and well-meaning students, because they don't have that firm foundation, because they're not surrounding themselves in good Christian community, finding a solid church and leveraging that Christian worldview. Uh, they basically take it and they become part of this lost generation that's being swept away. I don't want to discourage parents who have 18 or 19 year old kids, but if we're being honest, you know, in many ways, if they're going off to college this week, the the die is sort of cast there. It's it's going to be what it's going to be. There's not some magic thing you can do in the next three days that's going to significantly sure. change that. Um, but Rob, you as a pastor, of course, have a significant role, but. I think it's important that we help the parents who uh, to understand, okay, you have uh, a toddler at home, you have a kindergartner at home, you have a fourth grader at home, um, that the 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 pastor's role even is nothing compared to what the parent's role is. And if we as parents are hoping that one hour uh, with the pastor each Sunday is going to wipe out uh, 35 hours at the secular school that week, uh, and and it's it's not going to do that. And and we as parents are going to have to take a stance, set the trajectory for our children, uh, and be specifically involved in all of that. If if we're going to even have a chance when we send them off at 18 or 19 year old. The groundwork for that needs to be laid far before, and it starts with mom and dad. A absolutely. In the 1930s, the humanist uh, in this country uh, said there's no way uh, that a child that is exposed to theistic training one hour a week, basically meaning Sunday school or a church mm -hmm. worship service, that there's no way that that can compete with five days a week of humanistic training and education. And they were right. There's no way that just one one hour a week, sending your child off to Sunday school or sitting through a worship service will ever be able to compete with what they're going to experience either in public education, what they're going to experience in, you know, in media and yeah. social media and what, what's kind of they're being exposed to in culture. Which is 24 and hours a day. 24 hours a day. And certainly, what you know, not going to compete with what they're going to be exposed to on a secular college campus. And so I, I always remind our families that it is never too early to start talking about 
biblical truth and how it applies to all of life, having a Christian world and life view. George Barna, his research shows us that a child's worldview is developing as early as 18 months of age, and that more than likely it's fully formed by the age of 13. Mm. Their moral compass is being formed at the age of nine. So when we think of 18 months of age and moral compass being developed at nine and worldview being fully developed at 13 years of age, at many, many times, 18, 19, 20, it's too late. And that's often when we think about giving our children a biblical worldview. Let's send them to a course. Let's send them to a conference. Let's send them to something. Read this book before you, you, know, you start your first day of class. No, it starts at 18 months of age. Uh, learning the difference between what is true and what is evil, what is good and what is bad. Uh, when we see something in the news or see something in culture, see something on television, when we hear something in politics, uh, when we see something in a movie or a song, have these conversations with your children and say, uh, we're not telling families to retreat from culture or retreat from the world. Uh, we're saying, no, engage with it, but engage with it with a biblical worldview. Have these conversations around the dining room table in the living room as you're as Deuteronomy 6 all of life from the t- moment you rise to the moment you go to bed have these conversations with your children don't don't try to shelter them so that they are never exposed to what's happening in culture and society until they go off to college when they're 18 years of age have these conversations at a very early age so that they are developing a biblical worldview from the very beginning. And then for those in whom that has been instilled by their parents, Lauren, if we, uh, as you describe your college experience, there could be uh, people listening who think, okay, they, they hear you describe, you know, standing necessarily against the tide at certain spots and saying, okay, but she's she's different. She's unique. Okay. She's, she's more cut out for that sort of battle. She's a leader. She's... Um, and 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 but that's that's not me or I won't be able to do that. The, the reality is though this this is kind of a choice that you had to make. You're not you you have you have your own gifts and talents, but you're a normal person. That it, this is a decision that you make. It's not I'm I'm just uniquely able to stand against the tide. It's 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 really a matter of deciding I'm going to. I'm not just going to get swept away, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. I you know I'm. I may be a leader now, but a decade ago, I was 18, really lonely, didn't have any friends on campus, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, who I was. And I just had this kind of moment of like, put up or shut up. You know, Mm -hmm. either you believe what you believe and that compels you to do certain things and say certain things, or you don't believe it. But there's, if if you're genuine in your belief, yet you have to do something by it. It's, it's kind of like when you're you're saved and you're thankful for salvation, you do good things because of your thankfulness, you're, because of your gratefulness, because, well, now that I'm saved, I have to do X, Y, and Z to be good enough to get in heaven, like, right? That's the whole purpose of grace and, and being thankful for that salvation. In the same way, it's like, I believe all of the Bible is God's infallible word. I don't get to pick and choose what I like or don't like because that waters down the the... Mm-hmm. That waters down the entire purpose of it being God's word. He's God is is ultimate supreme authority. So I believe that then I've got to go. I've, like I have no choice. I've got to go take a stand. Be thoughtful in how you do it. Don't go out and be a jerk. Don't be inflammatory for the sake of being inflammatory. But you can quietly and faithfully um, take a stand 
in your community, in your small sphere of influence. Um, it's not easy, but I'll tell you, I'm so grateful that I did take that path. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, we need to remind our uh, Christian families that are listening, parents and grandparents that have either just sent their uh, child away to college or getting ready to in the next uh, few days or, or next few weeks, uh, remind your child that they're a missionary. Every opportunity that we can encourage our young people uh, in the church that when they go off to college or they go out into the world and they claim their independence and they find their calling in life, uh, remind them that they are ultimately a missionary uh, for the kingdom of God, uh, whether they're a college student or they eventually become a doctor, a lawyer, an educator, a stay-at-home mom, a politician, an entrepreneur, whatever the calling is, uh, they are a missionary for the kingdom of God. And so leverage that Christian worldview, understand that you are on mission beginning day one, your freshman year of college to the time you go and graduate from that college. And who knows? I mean, it took one man, uh, you know, uh, throughout history, you know, whether it was Joseph in in Egypt or Daniel in uh, in Babylon, you know, God has always used a remnant. You know, you don't need thousands and thousands of people. God typically works through one or handfuls of people uh, that stay strong, stay true to what they believe, operate with a biblical worldview, embrace their calling uh, every single day in the classroom, on the court, on the football field, all the extracurricular college clubs, and, and all the other campus activities. Every moment is a holy moment. Leverage that opportunity and your calling well, and let's encourage our the next generation uh, to be a light in a very dark world. Amen. That's what we need. And again, as has often been said, Christianity is only ever one generation away from extinction. Now, of course, we know from God's sovereignty and, and, and the divine side of this, that he's never going to let that witness go out. He's never going to let it go away. But from the human standpoint, it means passing our faith on to the next generation. And it means passing it on in such a way that it's not snatched away by secularists who are in the business of trying to snatch away their faith. And so I think this is encouraging and good advice for parents and for students heading out there, because this is, this is the battle. You probably won't in your life face it, uh, it, there are exceptions, and some people in the business world will face it. Most people, this will be where the battle is hottest is when they when they head off to college. Absolutely. But I think the good news is it's not about what we're doing. It's about who God is Amen. and being a vessel that he can work through. Amen. And so for anyone who's listening going, I want to, I don't know if I'm tough enough. I don't know if I'm strong enough. It's not about who you are. It's yes. about who God is. Yep. City of God in the midst of the city of man. That's Amen. Right. Well, John and Lauren, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, hopefully our families, our parents, grandparents, and any college student that's listening to this is encouraged by this charge. Also look for that message to a Christian college student uh, that will be posted at institutefc.org. Um, so hopefully uh, we can share that with other um, Christian families across North America. And let's go out and encourage our, uh, our young people people uh, that are leaving and being sent out as missionaries and, as you said, vessels for the kingdom of God. And that is all the time uh, we have uh, for this episode on the City of God podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to send it out to family and friends that might benefit from exploring this issue in particular through the lens of God's infallible word. Until next time, may God richly bless you. The City of God podcast is produced by Coral Ridge Ministries. 
and made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. Visit us at cityofgodpodcast.com to access all of our previous episodes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. A full video version of this podcast is available on YouTube. This is the City of God Podcast, where Christ meets culture.